Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Denevsky, and today I spoke with Temple Grandin, a trailblazer as a speaker about autism and an advocate for the humane treatment of animals. During the podcast, we discussed a wide variety of topics, including her experience growing up with autism, how those with autism view and process the world, and how her autism contributed to her understanding of animal behavior and how to improve their lives. I was fortunate that Dr. Grandin agreed to come on the podcast, and I think you'll be too when you hear her views on these important issues. I'm here with Dr. Temple Grandin, who is a professor of animal science at Colorado State University, a proponent for the humane treatment of livestock, an inventor, best-selling author, and trailblazer as a speaker about autism. Dr. Grandin, thank you for being here today. Is there any other way you'd like to introduce yourself before we start? No, that's just great. I guess we got a lot of things to talk about. (laughs) Exactly. So I know that you didn't speak until you were four. So to start, can you discuss how you overcame this obstacle? Well, I got into very good speech therapy when I was young. All I can say is if you have a little two-year-old or three-year-old that's not talking, the worst thing you can do is to do nothing. You've got to start working with that child. A lot of interactive teaching, uh, teaching them words, slow down when you talk to them. Also, they've got to learn how to take turns. So make up little games where they have to wait and take turns. Another thing my mother did with me, I was good at art, and she always encouraged that. Now, you might have another little kid that's delayed in speech. He might be good at math, so then give him the harder math books. Uh, Maybe he'll be good at computer programming, but you won't know unless you expose them to these different things. It may be music. One of the things I talk about a whole lot, and it's a big problem in some parts of the world, is schools have taken out a lot of the hands-on classes, art, sewing, music, the school play. Um, uh, auto mechanics, welding, machine shop, because these are all things that can lead to careers later on. And I get asked all the time, how to get interested in the cattle industry? I was exposed to it when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It brings up a really important thing about careers. Students get interested in things they get exposed to. Yeah, exactly. And so would you say that early intervention is really important? Absolutely. And in high school, I know you kind of were mentioning some of these different activities. I know you're involved in horseback riding. So can you discuss how animals can sometimes help people on the autism spectrum with socialization and communication? Well, I actually have a paper online called, uh, titled How Horses Help the Student with Autism Make Friends and Learn How to Work. I was bullied in high school. It was terrible. Called all kinds of names. And the only places I had friends was with shared interests. Horseback riding was one of them. Another shared interest was electronics and the model rocket club. These were things where I could have a shared interest. Uh, We need to be getting kids involved in those kinds of things. Also, my school put me to work cleaning horse stalls. So I was, um, uh, that taught me working skills. Yeah, exactly. Another really important thing. Yeah, and like on a similar point, can you talk about how work responsibilities can just be very helpful for people on the autism spectrum? 
Oh, I think it's work responsibility is really helpful for a lot of kids. I agree. And one of the big problems I'm seeing, especially kids that end up with a label, is they're not learning working skills. They're not learning enough life skills, things like shopping. When I was seven years old, I had 50 cents a week for allowance. And back in the 50s, I could buy a lot. I could get 10 candy bars or five comics. But if I wanted a 69-cent airplane, I had to save. And I was learning that at a very young age. Yeah, Really important. Yeah, I was just going to say, as you said, I think it makes a lot of sense that, honestly, these are life skills that can help everyone. So I think that's important, too. Well, and kids, um, they need to start doing some jobs where it's on a schedule outside the family starting in middle school. We've got to find something to replace the old paper routes. Yeah. You know, it could be a church volunteer job. It could be a community center. But somebody outside the family is the boss. In the instant, they legally need to get a real job. And I'd be careful in the multitasking. There's problems with multitasking. Uh, don't put them on a super busy takeout window. Yeah, and so it sounds like structure, would you say, is that kind of an important aspect of working responsibilities? Yes. But like the, I'm seeing students where they're doing very well academically, but have never gone shopping. Hmm. This was something I was doing as a very young child, along with every other kid in the neighborhood. I just imagine, especially now with the pandemic and everything, it can be harder for students to find that structure. So that's even more oh, it's important. It's been, been a whole lot harder with the pandemic to find it, a whole lot harder. Yeah. Uh, but now things are easing up. Now people are getting vaccinated. So I'm fully vaccinated and I'm very, very glad that I am. Yeah, exactly. And you wrote a book called Thinking in Pictures. So can you share what Thinking in Pictures means? Well, and- Thinking in Pictures, and it just came out, it's got a new afterword <laughs> in it. That's where I describe how I think completely in pictures. Everything I think about is a picture. And if you watch the HBO movie, Temple Grandin, it shows exactly how I think. And it's available on a lot of streaming services. But there's also some people who think more mathematically. There's actually kind of three kinds of thought. Most people are mixtures. Well, people that get a label as dyslexia, ADHD, or autism tend to be extreme. I'm an extreme visual thinker. Then you get a more mathematical thinker, and then you can get the more verbal thinker. And research for the different kinds of thinkers is in my book, The Autistic Brain. That came out in 2013. There's now been a whole lot more research that completely uh, supports you know, the idea of three kinds of thinking. And they have different ways of approaching problems. And I'm getting worried that the visual thinkers like me, who are good at art, good at mechanical things, um, are getting screened out because algebra is just about impossible for us. Yeah. I never have passed an algebra course. It uh, wasn't required in 67 when I went to college. I think that's an interesting point, how if someone has trouble with one specific topic, that shouldn't really hold them back from overall mathematics in general or other kinds of skills that use that. Well, the thing that's happening is we're actually losing some skills because the visual thinkers that do what I call the clever engineering department, um, I worked with a lot of people uh, when I was out installing equipment that would have been autistic, ADHD, or dyslexic. And they didn't do well at school, and they own big metal fabricating shops that are making you know complicated equipment. And we're losing some of the skills. I mean, right now, uh, food processing plants, I mean, we're importing a lot of stuff from other countries like Holland and Denmark because yeah. we've lost the skills to make it. And it goes back to taking the hands-on classes out of the schools and don't be sticking your, your nose up at high-end skilled trades. 
because if you look at our Mars rover Perseverance, they take nice selfies of themselves. And the Chinese one I just looked at, she took the cutest selfie. But when you look really carefully at these, there's hand-done wiring on them. Somebody in a shop did that. It's mission critical. And probably one or two people did it. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Also, I just think so many different types of thinking are important. So would you say, like, how do you think it's important that we have these multiple types of thinking encouraged? And how do they complement each other? Well, they can complement each other. Let's take something like Zoom. Zoom took over because it was easy to use. That would be done by the visual thinker. But then you may need the mathematical thinker for the programming. Okay, you can take your iPhone, a visual thinker. I mean, Steve Jobs made the interface. Engineers had to make it work. You see, that's an example of complementary skills. And I found that in the food processing and meat processing plants. When I, some projects, I was out on the construction sites for real, you know, big extended periods of time. And the more mathematical minds had to do things like refrigeration, boilers, power, water, roof, uh, snow load, that kind of stuff. But then my kind of mind makes the really clever equipment, think packaging machine, something like that. That's where the skills are getting lost, is on what I call the clever engineering department. Mm. And it doesn't require a lot of mathematics. It's just really clever at um, making equipment. As you kind of mentioned before, it's really an issue if schools are getting rid of some of these hands-on departments because then it's not encouraging these different types of thinking as much. But the thing is, is we need all the different kinds of minds. Uh, They bring different skill sets to the job. Mm -hmm. And the first step is realizing that different kinds of thinking exist. And it's actually science now that shows that most people are kind of mixtures. And then the verbal minds, they tend to overgeneralize. But my kind of mind is very associative and gets a bit disorganized. Yeah, exactly. And like speaking more towards your specific way of thinking, You've mentioned in the past how it works sort of like Google Images. So this is really interesting. Yeah, how's that work? But it's also associative. Why don't you pretend I'm Google for images and give me a keyword, but think up something really creative, not house, dog, or car. Think up, it's not something that I could see in this room. Mm -hmm. They get really creative on, on giving me a keyword, and I'll tell you exactly how my mind pulls up information. Actually, I don't know if this is the best example, but... um. How about, like, lamp? I can see that. No, oh. it's something I can't see. Oh, I see what you're There's a lamp right here beside me. There's lights in here. Something okay. that's not in this room. Because obviously I'm seeing... Now, the lamp that I have in here... Actually, okay, here's the lamp that I have in here. Let's get it over here by the camera. That's the lamp I have. Yeah, okay, so okay. obviously... Okay, now, now that I'm looking at this lamp... It kind of, um, the shade kind of looks a little bit like Pixar's mascot lamp. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Now I'm looking like seeing scenes from Pixar movies. Yeah. So that's how I got from lamp to Pixar. So you see, it, you... make, it makes some sense. Yeah, exactly. I'm just wondering, how would you then think about something like, I guess, the term communication, where it's not just a singular image? Well, I can think of all kinds of, you know, seeing an old telephone we had as a child, because mm-hmm. I remember Rush wrote an email last night explaining that I'm old enough where the phone that we had when I was a little child had an operator. That <laughs> I was talking to somebody when they were 16 did that job, where you pick it up and you'd have to give them number verbally. Yeah. You know, so that, it's something I just did last night. Yeah. We were having a phone conversation about it, so that, 
came up. But there's different kinds of communication. I'm saying, uh, you know, the telegraph, because I'm interested in inventors. Then I had a book when I was a child about famous inventors, and one of them was the Morse for the telegraph. Okay, but again, I'm seeing pictures of specific communication devices. Okay, we're on a communication device right now. Yeah, and it makes me think about, I know a lot of people, sometimes when they're going to sleep or something, they're just thinking over things in their head. So do you have anything specifically, you know, when you're going to sleep or anything that you're thinking about? Sometimes when I'm trying to solve a problem, I get it right when I go to sleep. Yeah. The brain is sort of idling. In fact, Einstein, when he couldn't solve some of his theoretical physics and math, he'd play his violin, and then he was able to solve it. That's very interesting, yeah. I just, I always like to learn more, obviously, about how different people think differently, and I think, obviously, you do, too, so I think that's really interesting. Uh, And there's autism, autism is not a precise diagnosis, because uh, here's a really famous person that just announced on Saturday Night Live that he's autistic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. See, so you're going all the way from Einstein who had no speech from age three to um, somebody who can't dress themselves and has the same name. See, to a visual thinker, it doesn't make very much sense. These post-it notes, he's a six-year-old post-it note. <laughs> I put in this book six years ago on the pages where I thought Musk was autistic. Oh, my but gosh. I, but I only could say it now that he said it on Saturday Night Live. Now I can say it. But those have been there for six years. Oh, my gosh. Well, I guess you have that to say. You, you can tell, yeah. I think that's interesting. Would you say, like, as someone who's had these lived experiences, it makes it easier for you to sort of understand other people, even if they're at different end of the autism spectrum? Are you well, able they, to... Yeah, I worked with skilled tradespeople that I know were on the, autistic, on the autism spectrum. Skilled drafting designers, machinery designers that I know were autistic or dyslexic or ADHD. And there's a lot of crossover with ADHD and autism, mm-hmm. both the genetics, brain scans, and just the clinical symptoms. These things, it, it's not a definite diagnosis like COVID, a certain variant. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a very definitive uh, diagnosis. They can say of uh, this variant or that variant. Uh, it's not a precise diagnosis. It's also a continuous trait. When does a little bit geeky and nerdy become autism? See, a brain can be more social-emotional, or a brain can be more cognitive, more thinking. Or at what point do you slap a label on it? Yeah, it's a good question. And then you're going with the same label all the way down to very severe with the uncontrollable epilepsy and a lot of other problems and nonverbal. Then you got some nonverbals that can type independently, mm-hmm. and they're like they can't control their movements, and and they actually have a good brain inside, but they can't. It's hard for them to get out. Yeah. And then I think you have other nonverbals very severe epilepsy where there's a lot more problems. Yeah, and do you think that these sorts of labels can be more helpful or harmful or it just really depends on the person? Well, what I'm seeing, let's look on the fully verbal end of the spectrum or the ones that become fully verbal. I think sometimes the labels hold the kids back Mm. because they're not learning things like shopping. Uh, But on the other hand, in young adults and in older adults, discovering that they're autistic, it's almost a relief to them because now they understand why they have a relationship problem. So in that situation, it's been really, really helpful. But I'm seeing too many kids where they're just getting addicted to video games. And there have been three cases where they introduced them slowly to car mechanics, and they found out that I was more interested in video games. See, my kind of mind is a mind's going to get addicted to video games. I don't have any of that stuff on my phone. I won't have it on a computer. 
if I need to find out what the latest video game is, I'll go watch trailers. I can't play those. Yeah. But I can find out what the game's about and go, well, that's kind of a fun game, but we still have to uh, limit the use of it. Well, that's a really nasty game. I don't want to play on that. So do you think it's important that people on the autism spectrum have people to kind of influence them in their lives to help them out? Well, let's, let's just talk about mentors. Let's start out with my mother, always pushing me to do new things, always giving me choices. She kind of stretched me. Now, she didn't throw me into sensory things where it was too loud and too confusing. She didn't do that. I had a great speech teacher. I had a great third grade teacher when I was eight. And she was very concerned they didn't know how to read. And mother homeschooled me with phonics for reading. I had a fabulous science teacher in high school. I was a goofball student who didn't care about studying. So I ran a school's horse barn instead of studying. But then what Mr. Carlock, my science teacher, did is he showed me how education is a pathway to a goal. And then I knuckled down and I started studying. Yeah. There's a lot of the courses I was just goofing around. Algebra, I never have figured that out. Um, and then there were some good people in the industry that recognized my abilities and seeked me out. There's a guy named Jim Uhl. He was starting a little tiny construction company. And he seeked me out to design jobs for him. Yeah. Um, so... The other thing I learned to do is to sell my work, not myself. So I would want to uh, impress a customer. I would show them my drawings. I was simply, uh, here's drawings in my thinking and picture book oh, right wow. here. And I would show people my drawings. Yeah, it's very cool. I feel like it sounds like your work kind of spoke for you. You didn't need almost other means of expressing how important your work is because when they saw these things, they were kind of able to see how revolutionary they were. Well, a job interview for me was lay the drawings on the table, put the photos out, and now I also give them some copies of some trade magazine articles that I'd written. Well, we got to get kids outside, even during COVID, that's why I did this book, Outdoor Scientist. And one of the projects in there is a rock collection that my sister and I had when we were about seven and eight, and we'd bust rocks apart to see what they look like inside. Make sure you wear safety goggles for that. But it was lots of fun, and then we displayed them on shelves in the tool shed. Very cool. And you kind of mentioned work a little bit before, so I know you're such a pioneer for the humane treatment of livestock. Can you discuss more about how you got involved in this cause? Well, I visited my aunt's ranch when I was 15, and I got the interest started. And I started visiting feed yards and handling cattle, and I saw it was terribly rough. And I just went around all these different places, saw how they designed stuff, see what worked, see what didn't work. And and then I started my business one project at a time. And so my really important projects I did with Jim, the contractor, when I got started. Yeah. He, uh, I helped him and he helped me. Um, you know, there's, the, you know, people need to start, get a lot more creative on finding sort of the back door into things. So what do you, I, I have seen a lot of people start out with a job on a line in the plant and then they gravitate to the maintenance department. 15 years later, they're building a new plant addition. I have seen people do that. You got to learn every job on the floor and pay your dues. And a lot of good jobs is just through connections. There's an autistic person right now working in a food safety lab. It's a brand new job. And somebody's housekeeper knew somebody. You know, sometimes you just never know where you can open the door, and they love them. Yeah. This person receives the samples, 
of all different kinds of uh, food stuff and then get the samples ready for testing. It sounds like sometimes people just need that opportunity or place to start for sure. Well, sometimes the opportunities right there staring in your face. And and I'll talk to parents and they're too hung up on interviews in the front door and I forget all the online stuff. Just work it through your connections. Well, who do you know that owns a shop and something that doesn't have too much multitasking? Another thing is long strings of verbal information do not work. Mm-hmm. Write down step by step what the instructions are for doing the job. What was your experience like working in such a male-dominated field? Well, that's to say being a woman was a bigger barrier than autism ever was. Mm. But fortunately, uh, a lot of guys were good. Where I got all the trouble was not with the construction guys. It was with the foremans, like in a feed yard or a ranch. It was the foremans, that middle management. That's where all the trouble was. Mm. Almost all of it. They didn't like this girl nerd getting in on their territory. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I can imagine just because... Even nowadays, I've been the only female in my engineering classes, so it's so hard. Oh, you're to... in engineering classes right now? Yeah, yeah, I've done. I do a lot of inter- I, I'm really interested in a lot of STEM things too. So even more interested in what you're doing for sure. Well, what um, uh, how, what kind of engineering are you interested in? Um, recently I built a device for a stroke victims, so I'm interested in a lot of building and just kind of creating creative things so which makes me even more interested for sure are are you good with math i try i hope i hope so (laughs) well there's a guy that makes the devices that deploy satellites any kind of a satellite out of the nose cone of a rocket he barely got through engineering school he makes devices that deploy satellites for everybody oh my god i've been on his webpage i've looked at his customer list and i go everybody and he says, well, I copied this idea, you know, when you push the key in your car and your trunk opens. Oh well, I use that idea as a thing to very reliably get a satellite out of a nose cone. See, that's visual thinking. You see, and the thing is, if that device doesn't work and the satellite doesn't get deployed, the whole mission is yeah. wasted. Yeah. So it has to be very reliable. And that's something, you know, you start a small business like that. You make something, somebody likes it. Then you get to make another thing. That's how these little shops start. I found that the shop that makes cameras for the uh, Perseverance, fairly small shop, uh, and then they make cameras for everybody. Oh, my god! But these things start out small. Exactly. And then you build it up. Yeah, and it's so interesting that you kind of bring up how these two very different things can come together for building something because I never really thought about it like that, but... One of the ideas when I came up with my own project and idea, I was thinking, how could I actually build it? I was thinking about how they have Japanese video games I researched where they do a similar mechanical movement. So I kind of took that mechanism and put it in my own device. So I didn't really think about it. That's what he did on making the thing that we got the idea when you push the car key fob and the trunk opens up automatically. And he says, sometimes I go down to Home Depot Depot and I buy the latest electric grills so I can take it apart to get ideas. Exactly. Yeah, reverse engineering it. I think that's so cool. But figure out, you know, uh, uh, how far along are you in engineering school now? Yeah, I'm still in high school, so not quite that far, but we'll see. Well, the thing is, try to get involved with as many internships and things do internships. I talked to a lady who worked for one of the airlines 
and her daughter tried out an internship with a with a, one of the aircraft companies, and then another internship with the farm equipment. She mm-hmm. liked the airplanes. You see, the other thing you're going to find out when you try different things, you're going to find what you love, but you may also find out what you hate. Oh, a lot that. of kids that got forced to become a lawyer or a doctor and found out they hated it. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard the stories, exactly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, just speaking about your visual way of thinking, I think it's so clear that this visualization skills can help people in work. So how did you find that your visual way of thinking was helpful in your own work? Well, I thought everybody was a visual thinker until I got into my 30s. I didn't even know that other people thought differently. And it was a shock to me when I learned that other people didn't think in pictures. And I remember one time, this was totally a... Totally, uh, absolutely shocking to me. Got to find it. Yes, it's sharp. I wanted to find a big, sharp pen that I had. And I remember one time asking a um, a speech therapist, you know, think about a church steeple. How does it come into your mind? Now I see specific churches, and I start naming them off. I see them. It's specific. All she got was this, and I'm going. There's no pictures. Yeah. And that's when it really dawned on me that some people have almost no visual thinking. Yeah. That's why she's a speech therapist, because it's a real verbal career. It's interesting. It definitely shows the fact that someone else can only see things almost in vague lines, whereas you see it in such details. I imagine that makes it really helpful for you in these fields, for sure. Well, the first step, people ask me, how do you learn that different thinkers can work each other? The first step, you have to realize that people do think differently. Then you can start looking at um, how these skills can be complementary. Did your visual thinking skills ever help you with specifically your work with animals? And Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because the first thing I did with the animals is I looked at what the cattle were looking at. There'd be a shadow on the ground and they'd stop and refuse to walk over the shadow. And other people weren't seeing that. And at the time that I was working on that originally back in my 20s, I thought everybody thought in pictures. Why don't they see that? There's a coat hanging on this fence and the cattle mm-hmm. don't want to walk by it. There's a reflection off a car and they don't want to walk by it. Mm-hmm. And then when you realize that other people think very verbally, I can understand how they, why they would have trouble seeing some of these things. Yeah, exactly. And I know you've come up with a lot of great inventions. One I was also curious about hearing from you was the hug machine. So can you talk a little bit about this? Well, when I went out to my aunt's ranch, the next door neighbor was working some cattle in a squeeze chute for the vaccinations. And I, you know, the squeeze chute squeezed the cattle. And uh, it seemed like some of them kind of relaxed. I was desperate for relief from horrendous anxiety attacks. So, of course, I went and tried it. And then I built a device where I could get in it and apply deep pressure to large parts of my body. And I found that helped calm me down. And I've written about that in Thinking in Pictures. Um, but for certain people, deep pressure over large parts of the body is very calming. And then the Thunder Shirt for dogs, the patents for that actually references my squeeze machine. It's very cool. I just think the whole, it's very creative and it's interesting how just by thinking differently, you're able to come up with these different ideas and inventions people don't realize. But it's, it, it's a different way of, of solving problems. Like I see how to make something work. A more mathematical engineer calculates. That's why they're doing refrigeration and boilers in a food factory, because that requires a lot more math. Uh, But then 
those are not the people that are going to figure out how to make a really clever packaging machine. Uh, and we're having to import a lot of equipment from Europe. I just recently went to a brand new chicken processing plant, and I was pleased to see some equipment there that was made locally. Little tiny shop, a mom and a son, they wanted a small, short packaging machine. You know, these big, huge mollybacks that are a mile long. They didn't want that. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't fit in their line. Well, this little shop made a beautiful little packaging machine. And But there's but in other parts of the country, uh, the, the little shops, the, the people my age have retired, and they're not getting replaced. Now, this chicken plant is right in the middle of farm country. So you still had individuals that came off the farm. And... And, and little shops like that are still forming. Other parts of the country, they're not forming. Mm-hmm. We're importing entire pork processing plants from Europe. I was just, since COVID, I went to the chicken plant and I went to a pork processing plant and ran new equipment, Denmark, Holland, and Italy, the whole floor full of it. That was uh, just a few weeks ago. Oh, wow, yeah. And that goes back to taking shop out of the schools. So that kid's playing video games in the basement instead of um, building things. Because a little shop start really tiny. And a factory, any kind of a factory, likes their stuff and then they just do more and more. I imagine it really builds on a small idea or a small creation. They start out and make some little thing for a factory and then there's some bigger project. And No, we have problems with, with um, maintaining factories right now. We've had stuff breaking right now. Just tonight I was having a conversation. Some stuff broke at the meat plant. Mm-hmm. Well, there's been problems with with uh, getting maintenance people. And it goes back to some of the changes in our educational system. And there's a tendency to stick the nose up at skilled trades. Now, I'm not talking about just super hard work like roofing. I'm talking about the high-end skilled trades yeah. that are filing patents, inventing things. I've worked with two people. They're my age now that have like 20 patents each and they definitely would have been diagnosed autistic because they're undiagnosed. Yeah, I can't tell you what they make. I've got to keep some confidentiality. Really, the last thing I want to bring up before we go is I really like your quote that you said, you're different, not less, and you're certainly proving it with all the work that you've done. And I was just wondering, do you think that the world views autism very differently now from when you were younger? Well, the thing is, autism is a really broad... Let's talk about some of the famous people, probably autistic, Steve Jobs, uh, Einstein, Edison, Michelangelo. I looked up stuff on Michelangelo. He dropped out of school at age 12. Really awkward. Um, um, now, he was exposed to two things. Every church was commissioning lots of art. So he'd be running around the neighborhood looking at that. And he grew up in a family with stone cutters. Mm. So he would have been exposed to the tools. And when you look into how a lot of people get into a career, they either followed their parents on the or they got a job kind of stuck in it, or they got interested in it due to exposure. Edison had a mentor that taught him how to be a telegraph operator. Yes, you see, many invented a device for the telegraph. Yeah, all these revolutionary people who are really the most famous inventors and creators, you have to wonder for sure. Well, musicians, and a lot of them are socially awkward. I'm, I'm so happy when Ellen Musk came out on Saturday Night Live and said he was autistic. Yeah, your theory was proven right. 
he's doing he's doing his childhood dream. I was surfing online the other night. Got that big Mars rocket he's making against the sunset. Boy, wait a minute, that's a childhood dream. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, not everyone gets to do the thing that they always are passionate about. So I think it's interesting for sure. Well, we need more people in the world that actually do stuff. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. And my last thing really is just, do you have, this is very general, but do you have anything that you'd like to leave us with before we go? Well, different kinds of minds exist and they complement each other. And the first step is realizing that they're there and then seeing how the skills can fit together. Yeah. I have a lot of my books have a co-write. And the reason for that is I need the verbal thinker to organize stuff, make it more linear. Where do I put, like this place I put in too much detail and then the, I'm working on a book now on visual thinking and 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 we're some seeing how the skills really do complement each other. Yes. They bring different things to the table and they're both important. But one of the problems we got with the, with the diagnosis stuff is overgeneralize. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, they'll talk about some goal they want to do in a very vague general way. Well, how do you actually do it? Okay, you're involved with engineering. Uh, right now, what do you know about engineering? What would your dream job be? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm still thinking about, but neuroscience related, neuroscience engineering. What would you want to do with that? Just really building things to help people who are recovering from strokes. That's what I've been doing recently. Well, and then you find something that's somewhat targeted, then you can figure out, you know, how to do it. That's I'm very so familiar with the research that's very important with some of the strokes that try to get them to keep using the part yeah. that's paralyzed. Yeah, I've I've been experimenting with a lot of different things, but it's definitely interesting to hear about someone like you who's done this one thing and really stuck to it and made a difference with it. So I think it's very interesting. Well, you know, there's a lot. The verbal thing is one thing that they'll get very broad goals they want to do. But how do you actually do it? Okay, people ask me, well, how do I manage to improve things in the cattle industry? We're working on improving meat plants is something that's targeted. Also, I was figuring out ways to actually improve them, not just hack them, how to solve the problems. And I start out my business one small project at a time. And I made my own internship at the local Swift plant. This was back in the early 70s, and there was another person that really helped with NORB, the plant superintendent. Well, I really, I really just appreciate you speaking with me today. I think you just had a lot of different interesting things to say. And so I think that's everything. But thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, well it's good to, good to talk to you. And um, I guess I'll sign off now. And thank you very, very much.